Thank you, Leslie, choir and orchestra. Take your Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 20. We're continuing our preaching time through the book of Acts during these mornings, and we're grateful for you being in this place. So Acts 20, we began reading in a moment in verse 17. Uh, the team asked me if I'd promote VBS today, and so they got me a shirt, and I'm encouraging you, be a part. Vacation Bible School, sign up right out there in the foyer, and so you can do that. You say, I'd like to little, know a little more. Well, then go to the website and ask about it, and uh, you can know more, all right? So uh, you be right there at your place, your time, and uh, sign up. We need you here in about 100 days, but we got to make preparation. And then you can also do it tonight. You could come. Six o'clock tonight is our Pray First on the first Sunday night, we're praying together. And tonight, we're going to meet in here rather than in the corners. We'll meet here because our children are going to be leading us through the Lord's Prayer tonight. And musically, uh, they'll help us. And three times in that musical, we'll pause and we'll cry out. And we will pray first. So you join me tonight at 6 o'clock uh, in this place. We come today to Acts 20. And we begin in verse 17. Paul has been on his missionary journeys as we followed him through. On this third trip, he is coming now to conclusion. He's headed home toward Jerusalem and Antioch. But before he goes, he stops at Ephesus and calls together the leaders, the elders, and he has a parting word for them. And I want us to see that in our text today. In Acts chapter 20, I began reading in verse 17. You follow along because this now is God's blessed word to us. From Miletus, he, this speaking of Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in the Spirit. My soul, that is a great phrase. Are you bound in the Spirit this morning? You walking in the power of the Holy Ghost? Paul said, I'm bound in the Spirit. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. There's our title for the morning, God's church, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes, for you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must keep the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said in Matthew and in his gospel, chapter 16, that 18th verse, I will build my church. This church at Olive is not mine. It's not yours. We often say our church, and I know what we mean. It's where we affiliate and where we've joined. And if you're not a member, you ought to join today and make this your church. But you don't own it. I don't own it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Don't think you own it. I had a gentleman visited me in my office over here back in 1997. We were going through a little consternation in our church, and he came to visit me and sat down. He looked at me. He was an elderly saint. He's going on to heaven now. And he said to me, Pastor, I can't believe what you're doing to my church. I was kind of gruff and arrogant and, you know, not humble and sweet like I am now. I, I mean, <laughs> and I looked at that gentleman. I said, sir, I just want to understand this is not your church. He said, well, you know what I mean. I said, no, sir, I, I have no idea what you mean. I only know what you said. It wasn't his church, wasn't my church, not your church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the owner because he paid for it and he has the title deed to it. Jesus builds his church. Paul was a church planter. He went around throughout Asia Minor. Every city, Athens and Ephesus, wherever he was, he gathered together a group. And there they started church. When he started writing letters, he wrote to the churches that were in Philippi. To the churches, he wrote that are in Colossae. To the churches, to the churches, to the churches. The last message that Jesus ever gave was to the churches of Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor where he spoke to them through John. For 2,000 years, Jesus' disciples have been grouping in churches. This morning in Pensacola, this morning in New York, in a little while out in California, it will happen in Romania, it will happen today in the Ukraine, even in the midst of war. It will happen in Russia, it will happen in China, it will happen wherever the name is named of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His church will gather, not their church, not your church, His church, God's church. And God is building his church and his church will prevail 
It's not going anywhere. Olive may cease to be one day. But I'm telling you, God's church will be here forever until he calls it home because you are the church. And the day is coming. I quoted the verse yesterday, standing by the graveside of one of our elderly members as we uh, entombed him and put him in the ground. And in, as we got ready for burial, I shared with them. There's a day coming, there's going to be a shout and a trumpet. The voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ. God's coming for his church. We that are alive and remain to be caught up. Are you part of the church? Are you? Are you? Let me just say this is not rhetorical one time. Are you? Well, friend, I'm telling you, if you're part of the church, He'll get you from the dirt or he'll take you from the ground. And I'm here to tell you he's coming for his church and his church will prevail until God comes to get that that he has purchased with his own blood. Blessed be the name of God's church. Well, I want us to look at God's church and give you four truths about God's church this morning. Give a gospel invitation, invite you to come out of that balcony and say yes to Jesus. Ask you to come today, be saved, join the church, be a part, put your membership in the church. Come as these two did in this service, as one did in the early service, as some did at Warrington today on every campus. We're seeing people baptized today and in every service. Thank God for that. And we look forward to that. Maybe you're one of those that needs to come. The truths of God's church. I want to show you four things. Number one, first I want to show you the price, the price of God's church. It's found in verse 28 uh, as you read in chapter 20. Notice he's sharing with these elders. He's called the leaders together of the church at Ephesus. And he says, when I'm gone, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The price of God's church was his own blood. In Ephesians 1 and verse number 7, we find that price. In him we have redemption. Redemption is a purchasing word where we've redeemed, we've purchased it. Uh, That is that God has redemption. We have redemption through his what? His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. You see, the the purchase price for the church is the blood of God himself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed. There's that purchasing word again. You were not bought. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. God's own blood. That's what purchased the church. In Hebrews 9 in verse 25, I love this verse where it speaks about the high priest, uh, nor was it that he, that he uh, would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood, with blood, notice it, with blood that is not his own. The high priest didn't go give his blood. Hmm. He brought the blood of bulls and goats. But let me tell you, when Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies, he brought his own blood. His blood was poured out for us. God, through Christ, Jesus paid the price. God, it says in this text, with his own blood. Friend, if you get saved, you'll get saved by the blood of the Lamb because you cannot get saved any other way. Jesus 
on that cross at Calvary that you see there. The blood came flowing down. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of anyone's sin. You cannot do enough good for your own redemption. It must be paid by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. In a moment we give this invitation. If you've never brought your life under the banner of the blood, come to Jesus today. He will save you. The blood pays for your salvation. You can't give enough for it. The only way to get to heaven is through Christ and his blood, his death, his atonement, and his resurrection that has come. Glory to God for the price. The price. Oh, it's an expensive bunch of people because God gave his own blood for the church. Secondly, we see the pastors of the church. The price is the blood. The pastors. Notice it in verse 28 where where Paul said, Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you episcopus, overseers, to poimain, shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He says that there are pastors, there are overseers. That word episcopus is the word epi over scopus look to look over to oversee that's our and one job of the uh, of the pastor is to oversee the church to look it over to watch for all of the church and make sure that it's in good order and then he said you've not only become overseers but the pastor is a shepherd the poimain as he cares for the flock we watch and feed now listen to me some of you are visiting with us today and you will go back to the flock where you go we're grateful you're here today maybe visiting friends or family or whatnot and then the majority of you come here this is a self-serving part of this message when I preach it but it's the truth you need to pray for your pastor you need to encourage your pastor you, you need to be one of the sheep that stays in the fold. Where you don't have to run after the one leaving the 90 and 9. Now nobody that signs up for the call of God. Jay Strack asked this morning on Twitter. I was flipping around my phone getting ready to come to church. and He said, can you remember the place where you were when you knew God called you to ministry? I said, well, yes. I can take you to the place. I could take you to the exact spot, except it blew away in a tornado. They built the church back, but it's a different church. But I can just about find that spot. God sees the pastor through, but, but hear me. The burden of the pastor is to oversee the church broadly and to deal with the sheep individually the pastor is to watch and feed that's what led john milton to speak of pastors having blind mouths that's a goofy phrase isn't it a blind mouth well he was saying you got to have both those things if you don't the pastor has got to see but he's also got to speak you have blind eyes yes But if you have a blind mouth, you're neither seeing nor speaking. 
And you must do both as you watch and feed the church. But there are many shepherds in this church. In our small groups, there are many shepherds in those small groups. We look after one another. There are other people that serve alongside of me on our staff. There are deacons. There are leaders of all kinds. And you need to pray for them and encourage them in the way. Write them a note every now and then and say, thank you, amen, as they help to shepherd your soul. The church, the price of it is the blood. The pastor of it is the overseer and the shepherd. Thirdly, Paul speaks of the perils. Now listen to me, the per- not the pearls like around your neck, the perils, that that is perilous. In verse 29, he says, now know this. After my departure, wolves, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The church is at peril from two places, outside and inside. First of all, it's at peril from those on the outside. These he calls savage wolves. Jesus said of them in Matthew 7 and verse 15, they were like wolves that were in sheep's clothing. Outwardly they looked apart, but inside they were ravenous wolves. And these wolves come for only one thing, Jesus said, or two things in John 10 and verse number 12. The two things that they come for is that they come to snatch away and scatter the sheep. So when people begin to enter into the family and come into the church and snatch them away, many college students Ravenous wolves come after them. They've grown up in the faith. They go off to school. And then the wolves come in and and try to snatch them away. And if they don't snatch them, they try to at least scatter them so that they're away from the family of God. When you move, it it often will happen. You'll move to a new community and you're not connected immediately. And those wolves will come and scatter you and snatch you away from a family fellowship. Hmm. Be very careful from the ravenous wolves that are on the outside. But he says, secondly, not only are there wolves on the outside, there are weasels on the inside. Say, Pastor, I don't see the word weasel. No, you won't see it in the text. That's the pastor's word. These that are on the inside. Verse 30, that will arise from among yourself, their their part, and they will speak perverse things and they will draw away the disciples after them. Notice it's all about them and it's come to me, come to me, come to me. It's like happened in Corinth, the most corrupt place in all the world is Corinth and the most corrupt church that Paul ever dealt with was Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12, he, he said, why are everybody jumping up and saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. One group said, I'm of Jesus. Throw down the divine card. See, they began to follow after people. Weasels. They weasel in and draw away a little group. They began to teach in their small group. They'll meet on Sunday morning. They say, well, you know, before y'all leave today, you know, the pastor really, he, he doesn't just really get down into the word like we do here. And so we're going to start having a little group at our house on Sunday night. If you'd like to come and really get into the meat of the word, 
then come on our Sunday night time. We'll go deeper than the pastors ever thought about. Weasels. Or they'll just meet a small group somewhere at a coffee shop. So, you know, we used to be over there at that church. And so we still go and, and, and we're there because we want to have somewhere that uh, our kids can get married and we can have a funeral when we die. But we're not going to give our money there. We, we got this other deal we're going to do and, and, and we're going to take the funding away and we're going to put it because we believe that we've got weasels. Weasels. And so in they come. You have to be very careful of the wolves from the out and the weasels from within. These are the perils of the church. The wolves, they give false teaching. And the weasels give divisive actions. We are in a day of what I call post-truth. There's so many wolves coming at us. Post-truth has got people believing things because of feelings rather than facts. And when you move from facts to only feelings, you are in a post-truth era in your culture. And that's where America sits today. It will lead you to not know the difference in a male and a female. Because you feel a certain way. But the scientific fact will not support that. Now listen to me, just because you don't believe a fact does not mean the fact is not a fact. Just because you feel a certain way. And our job is to hold the standard of truth and speak that truth with compassionate love. Not be an arrogant snob, but speak the truth in love, but speak truth. Nonetheless, the post-truth era moves all the way to feeling, away from fact. And then the divisive actions are those that try to divide the family. These are the weasels. I pastored in Texas for a while before coming here. I got to thinking about today, John, I mean this week. When I was preparing this message, thinking about my coming here, it was a singer, a minister of music that gave my name to this church. Jack Price, our good friend. I couldn't find a picture of him on the internet anywhere. I don't know. He, he just, I guess he's not photogenic or something. I don't know. But his picture's not there. But Jack gave my name to the search committee here, and that's how I got connected. Well, I was in Texas, and for a few years I was in rural North Texas. And I grew up in the grocery stores, those of you know, and I'm from the country, but I didn't really live in the country. We were at the crossroads and ran the little grocery store. But when I got to Texas, there were a lot of ranchers and farmers, and I was driving out to Petrolia one day, and it's a little crossroads town right outside of Henrietta. And as I went down, I noticed there was this barbed wire fence with the post, and there were not, they don't call them coyotes, they call them coyotes. About every 25 posts, there was a coyote nailed to the post. When those coyotes would get after their cattle, they'd shoot them, and then they'd nail them through the head to that post and just let the carcass hang there and die, or rot. 
I asked one of the rangers, I said, can, do wolves really know what's going on? He said, they can smell. He said, and I can tell you this, it works. <laughs> I'm not telling you today that you ought to take a hammer. And... <laughs> don't, don't use a hammer. I'm, I'm not, but I am telling you to use a sword. Because that's where you find truth. And sometimes you have to use the sword, speaking the truth in love. And then we just, you know, this old church here, we're 130 years old, never had a deep divide within it, never had a split go out and all of that. And, uh, I was over here doing a funeral the other day, and the guy said, you know, we, we love you. We listen to you on Saturday on television. So we go to Hillcrest Church, and I said, good. He said, I didn't know a while back that Olive started Hillcrest. I said, yeah, many years ago uh, when Olive thought that Nine Mile Road was way out in the country. <laughs> Remember those days, you know, and it, nothing was out there. So we went three or four miles down the road, so we're going to plant this church. And, and I got to thinking about it, so Olive planted Hillcrest. But you know, there's a little church up in Canoe, Alabama today that planted this church where this church planted that church. Oh, the power of God, of not dividing the church, but multiplying the church. Weasels don't do that. Weasels, and I almost am going to use a word right here that I'm refraining from using. Because there are children in the room. But weasels do. Weasels have to be dealt with, just like wolves have to be dealt with. The perils of it. But, but lastly, very quickly, I want you to see the power. Look in verse 32, the power of God's church. Oh, glory to God. Look, look at this. I found this this week, and I jumped up and ran around my study. Look, look at it in verse 32. And now, Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Everybody say the word of his grace. Say it out loud like you really mean it. Oh, I commend you the word of his grace, which is able, that grace is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's the word of charis. It's the word of grace. It is able to build you up. Grace. Grace is not the love of God. It's more than the love of God. It's not just the favor of God. It's more than the favor of God. Grace is the love of God operating through the passion of God in order to perfect the saints of God. Glory to God. I know you didn't get all that, but I got excited when I read it. You see, the grace of God is, is that that God puts in us and, and, and causes through passion for it to perfect us. That is to bring us to sanctification. You get saved, there is a positional sanctification. You're in it. Then there is a growing sanctification that you are more like Jesus than you were Elijah. And then there's coming an ultimate salvation, ultimate sanctification. When you get to glory, there'll be no sin at all in your life. Amen. That'll be a glorious good day. What gets us through is grace. Friend, if you've never been saved, you'll only get saved by the blood through grace. There is saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
It's a gift of God. It's not of yourself. You can't do it. You can't believe enough. You can't grunt enough. You can't get baptized enough. You come by faith and receive grace, unmerited favor. Then there is sufficient grace. Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. That's why he said, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses. Yes. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. My grace is sufficient for you. But then there's a sustaining grace. And that's what prayer is about. When we find in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of what works, the throne of grunting, <laughs> throne that we can do But No, no, we come to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace to help when? In a time of need. You come, that's why I want you to come back here at 6 o'clock tonight when these kids sing and we're going to cry out to God. Three different times we're going to pray on Pray First Sunday night. And I want you to come. These kids are going to teach us to sing the Lord's Prayer and then we're going to cry out at the throne of grace. We need grace. It's grace that grows us. It's grace that sustains us. It's grace, verse 32 says, that makes you able to be built up. Mm-hmm. He will build you up and he'll give you that inheritance and among those that are sanctified. You'll be getting holy through grace. Now you know about grace. If you're married, you know about grace. If you didn't know about grace, you'd be divorced. See, he messes up. He forgets. And the law says, until you get better. No. Grace says, I forgive you. But let me flip out. She messes up too. Yeah. And you can give her that old cold shoulder if you want to. But grace is what builds the marriage. Grace. <laughs> you got to do that with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So you're getting ready to get up and preach and somebody sends you an ugly text. You send them one back. <laughs> and then you have a little fun with them in the preaching time. That's called grace, amen? Yeah. Then you get up to preach and somebody sends you a Facebook message. So you look like a teenager in that shirt today. So you take that as a compliment and then you talk about them in the sermon and then you show grace. Amen? Yeah, that's what we do. Now those are easy. But when they look at you and say, that's the sorriest thing I ever heard today, wasted 30 minutes of my time when I was in church. I'm never coming back. Okay. I'm coming back. I have to come back. Well, I really don't have to, but I I really like to. And see, what you do is, is you show grace. John doesn't do it perfect every time. That's why we show grace. 
I don't do it perfect every time. That's why he shows me grace. I mean, Sean, I, where was that first girl from? Do you remember that he baptized? No, he didn't say Navarre. I never been to that town that he said. I got so tickled sitting on the front row. I said, nobody's going to go nowhere near Navarre. Oh, we chuckle with each other. We show grace. Amen? Amen. Yeah, but Christians, they just. <laughs> you know what happens when you don't show grace? You wilt. You divide. You stink. You putrefy. And the world looks at us and said, I thought that was God's people. And we're supposed to show grace. Now here's what I want us to do. John's going to come. And, and he's going to sing a song. And while he sings this song, don't you dare come forward on the first stanza. If you're ready to be saved, you, you, don't you come down here. Talk to the person next to you, but don't come here. On the second stanza, you can come tell me. But on the first stanza of this, I want you to show grace this way. I want you to tell somebody, I love you, man. Say, preacher, I'm sitting with my wife. We had the biggest drop down drag out before we got to church this morning. Well, then the prophet is speaking to you. All right. <laughs> you say, this is the first time I've ever been in here. I'm all by myself. I've never even been in this room before. Just shake somebody's hand and say, hey, I love you in Jesus' name. We won't hurt you. We won't bite you. We're not going to wrestle you on the ground. But if you know somebody around, maybe you just need to say, man, I love you. I love you. Kevin, come down here. Come on. Come on, Kevin. Come down here. I'm going to love on Kevin. You need to love on somebody today. Okay? And on the second stanza, then I want you to get up and come. Trust the Lord. Join the church. Come to the altar. So, let's just stand. John's singing Amazing Grace. You just show some grace to somebody today.